Welcome to Lasting Truth, a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills, in Banning, California, where Pastor Ryan Hussein teaches the entire Word of God, chapter by chapter, verse by verse, giving our listeners the opportunity of receiving the full counsel of God. In today's program, we are studying the book of 2 Chronicles, chapter 29. Here's Pastor Ryan. And so, Father, again, we come before you this evening so grateful that you are our Father, you are our Maker, our God, you are the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob, the God of Moses, and Joshua, and Caleb, God of the apostles, Peter, James, John, Andrew, Matthew, You're the God of Timothy and Titus. Lord, you used your saints to do mighty works that we study and are in awe of. You're Mary Magdalene's God. You're you're Mary, the mother of our Lord's God. You're John the Baptist's God. And you're our God, and you're moving in our midst, and we're so grateful you are. Lord, open up the windows of heaven and baptize us with your spirit. Soften our hearts. Remove hardness of heart from us. Give us humble hearts and help us to receive your word, Lord. May it be all of you and none of me. In Jesus' name we pray and together we say amen. All right, so we all there? All right. So as you know in our story, we're right smack in the middle of King Hezekiah's reign. Or at the beginning, not the middle. Uh, but we kind of finished right in the chapter where it's, it's all about King Hezekiah. He's on the throne in the southern kingdom of Judah. As you know, the nation of Israel is split in two. The northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. It's split because of their apostasy. They turned from God and began to worship pagan idols you know the story. Eventually, the southern kingdom is going to be taken into Babylon, into bondage. The northern kingdom, already uh, at this place and time of our story, they've already been taken into slavery. The Assyrians came and took them. In the southern kingdom, the kings, they're of the lineage of our Lord. And everything in the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ. So Hezekiah is of the lineage of our Lord, the lineage of King David, And that's what the Bible is concerned about as it talks about the kings. But King Hezekiah is a good king. He's one of the best kings in the Bible, okay? And uh, he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, we're told, um, as did according to his father, David. Now, his father's not King David. It's his great, 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 great grandfather. But King David, as you know, the second king of Israel, the most famous king who... Uh, was a man after God's own heart. Not perfect, obviously, we know his sins, but generally, most of his life, he loved God, and God considered him uh, a man after his own heart. And so, King Hezekiah is such a good king, guys, that the Bible tells us he was like King David. Same thing, he had a, a, a heart after the Lord. And what's cool about Hezekiah is that his father, Ahaz, was probably the most wicked king in Judah, right? And so King Ahaz was wicked. He 
was a straight-out pagan worshiper. He shut down the temple in Jerusalem, shut down worship, uh, uh, messed up the doors, shut the temple. People could not worship Jehovah. They could not worship Yahweh. So it was completely shut down. Pagan altars were all around the temple. And he basically led the nation into full-blown apostasy like the kings in the north uh, in the kingdom of Israel. And uh, he was so wicked that he even burned alive one of his sons in worship to Baal, which was uh, demonic, obviously. And so it, it, he was a wicked king, but yet his son Hezekiah, his son, can you imagine? He, he, his father dies and Hezekiah immediately, he doesn't waste any time. He sees the temple in shambles. He sees the, the perversity, the wickedness, the evil, and he immediately gets to work to fix things. I mean, just touched by God, 25 years old when he takes the throne. And he's just like, he immediately, the first thing he does is he opens the temple immediately. And he has the doors repaired so that people can go in and out. And then he ended up calling all of the priests and all the, all of the Levites and, and, uh, had them sanctify themselves, cleanse themselves, go through ceremonial, uh, uh, cleansing, uh, rituals to purify themselves before the Lord. And not only that, but then go into the temple, take the utensils that King Ahaz was using for pagan worship. They're, they're, um, impure now so they would take they took all of the utensils out took them down to the brook cleansed them did a did a whole ceremonial cleansing of the utensils and just removed the rubbish the trash from the temple just totally began to clean it out so that they can worship the lord and hezekiah was super blessed super blessed and we're going to be in his uh in his life these next few chapters but it speaks to the goodness of God that it doesn't matter what family you come from you may come from a bad family a very bad family there can be heavy sins in our backgrounds right with our parents grandparents maybe aunts and uncles God is so wonderful that he looks upon us individually and each and every one of us has a choice on what kind of life we're going to live. And it blesses me. Here's Hezekiah. You know, his dad was so wicked. The moment his dad died, he, he just moved forward with the Lord. God is a gracious God. He's the God of the fatherless. And everyone who comes to him has a clean slate. Right? He makes the fatherless fathers. He makes them, you know, uh, he just blesses. That's why we love him. And so Hezekiah. And in what happened was the priests and the Levites came, but also there's a calling for the rulers and the, and the leaders of Israel, of the southern kingdom, and they are coming. It's almost like there was an undercurrent of the work of the Holy Spirit that probably very few people in Judah saw. 
There was a remnant. There are people just still loving God, but undercover because the king was so wicked before. And when the timing was right, when the right people were removed or the wrong people were removed, and this good king arises, everyone comes out now out of the shadows and they are excited to turn their nation back to God. So it's a revival really in our story of God's people in the southern kingdom. Jerusalem is coming alive. And so that's where we're at. It says um, in verse 18, we'll actually begin. It says, then they went in to to King Hezekiah and said, we have cleansed all the house of the Lord, the altar of the burnt offerings and all its articles and the table of the showbread with all its articles. Moreover, all the articles which King Ahaz in his reign had cast aside in his transgression, we have prepared and sanctified, and there they are before the altar of the Lord. So they told the king, it is, we are ready. We are ready to rock and roll. We are ready to worship the Lord again. And so in verse 20, it says, then the king Hezekiah rose early and he gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. And so the first thing that I take notice of here as I was reading that blessed me is that uh, King Hezekiah rose up early. He rose early and he gathered the rulers of the city. It was important enough for the king to get up early and to gather the rulers and go to the house of the Lord. It was important to him. If you think about it, you know, 20-something years, no worship of the Lord, guys. 20-something years, all of it in shambles. And now it's finally ready for them to go in and worship because the house is now clean and ready to to worship the Lord. It's something that so means so much to the king that he gets up early for it. You can tell that King Hezekiah had a real hunger for the things of God. The people were so hungry for God. They were so thirsty for God. They, they, they would walk miles and miles and miles and miles just to come to the house of the Lord. There is such a hunger to worship. I mean, when the temple's taken from you, shouldn't that create like a hunger, right? To be around God's people, to be in God's house. They're coming. They're all hungry. And I wonder if we are still hungry for the Lord as we used to be. I remember one of my earliest prayers, and I, of course, I picked it up from somebody. I was surrounded by a loving church at Costa Mesa and at Golden Springs Calvary Chapel, and I may have learned this from a mature Christian, but they would always say, pray that God gives you a hunger for his word. Pray that God gives you a hunger and a thirst for prayer. And I began to pray that at, at an early uh, age in my walk with the Lord. And I really had a hunger for the word. It's like I, I couldn't go about my day without getting into the, the word daily. 
I couldn't get in, you know, go about my day without learning how to pray. And I remember I used to fast a lot too. I'm not saying this to, to tell you know to present myself as some spiritual guy, but it was just something that they taught they taught me, and I did frequently uh, when I was saved, just saved, and and also going to church. I was always so excited to go to church. I think it was a direct tie to me praying to God. Give me a hunger and a thirst for fellowship. Give me a hunger and a thirst to be around your people. Give me a hunger and a thirst to hear your word when I come into your house. And it changed my attitude. And Jesus says, you have not because you ask not. And I used to race to Costa Mesa. I used to speed to Costa Mesa. Uh, you know, on two, I couldn't wait to see the brethren. Where did that come from? That wasn't just just me it was God answering prayer and putting that in me instilling that in me because what I was praying for God wanted for my life and God wants it for our life here tonight he wants all of us to be excited about coming to church to be excited about prayer and reading the scriptures to be excited about serving just like these folks who for years could not go to the temple you think about the brethren in China right? The undercover churches. They have to have church in homes and undercover as much as possible because if they get found out, they do jail time in China. Bibles have to be snuck in there. Bibles have to be snuck into Cuba. There are places where folks, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, they're so hungry. They're so thirsty for something like this. And in America, it's easy for us to lose our appetite because we have so many other things pulling at our appetites. It's the persecuted Christians around the world that say, huh, pray for us, we pray for you. Because you guys have it so easy that, that it's like complacency and lethargicness and laziness. And you're just like, oh, I'm not hungry like I used to. Lord, give us a hunger. So that I'll, I wake up early to seek him, you know, and I, you think about uh, David in Psalm 60, 63, verse 1. Let's turn there real quick. 63, verse 1. We're not too far from it because we're in the Old Testament, right? So Psalm 63, verse 1. Give me an amen. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you in a dry and thirsty land where there is no water. So I looked for you in the where? Sanctuary to see your power and your glory. My goodness, my friends. My brothers, my sisters, this is what Banning needs. This is what Beaumont needs. The people need a supernatural hunger to come over them. I mean a supernatural hunger. We, we should be praying for that. Lord, we pray for the lost in these cities that we live in and around us, creating them such a hunger such an emptiness without God that they make their way to Bible teaching churches and receive from you because a person will not eat unless they're hungry. 
They will not receive God unless they're hungry for him. So we can can really affect the 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 things unseen, the battles behind the scenes. If we at Sweet Hills pray, Lord, give the people of Beaumont and Banning and the surrounding cities oh, a thirst like never before. Everyone's trying to fill their lives with everything else. Make Help them to see that they need Christ. We need it in the church, obviously. Look at how the psalmist wrote, I'm thirsty. He acknowledges, like, I need your word. I need you. I need more of you. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37, on that last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, God is still asking us here tonight. Are you thirsty? Do you love to read the word? Do you, do you have an appetite for it? Do you have an appetite for prayer? Do you have an appetite to come to church? Do you have an appetite to receive from the teaching at church? If not, I, I believe God would say, you have not because you ask not. Keep asking. Man cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I want to come in here famished. Can't wait. So that every little thing that comes from the Bible nourishes my soul. Every little crumb that I get, it's just ministering to me. In Proverbs 27, verse 7, it says, A satisfied soul loathes the honeycomb, but to a hungry soul, every bitter thing is sweet. Are you going to eat that or can I have that? There's nothing but bone. Oh, I see a piece of meat on that bone. Can I have it? You know, that kind of thirst and hunger for the word. It'll get us to get up early in the morning. Like the women did, Mary Magdalene. She got up early and went to the tomb. What drove her? Love. What, th- what drove her? Hungry, hunger for Jesus. The king, Hezekiah, rose early. He gathered the rulers of the city and went up to the house of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls, seven rams, seven lambs, and seven male goats for a sin offering for the kingdom, for the sanctuary, and for Judah. And so here they came. It had been a long time. They came with animals, right? A whole bunch of animals for a sin offering. And it says here that the that he commanded the priests, the sons of Aaron, to offer them on the altar of the Lord. So they killed the bulls, and the priests received the blood and sprinkled it on the altar. Likewise, they killed the rams and sprinkled the blood on the altar. They also killed the lambs and sprinkled the blood on the altar. Then they brought out the male goats for the sin offering before the king and the assembly, and they laid their hands on them, and the priests killed them, and they presented their blood on the altar as a sin offering to make an atonement for all Israel, for the king commanded that the burnt offering and the sin offering be made for all Israel. Just a beautiful sight. All of these animals coming in. And, and the order of things is so important here, because if we're, if God's house first, they took out the rubbish, right? They sanctified the house. They sanctified themselves. And then 
first order of business, we need to take care of our sins. We need sin offerings. Like God's not about us praising him, serving him, evangelizing for him, being witnesses for him. He ain't about all that. He wants to talk to us about our sin first. He wants that to be taken care of. Nothing has changed, right? We just read blood everywhere. Blood blood for the atonement of sin. Beautiful. They need to cleanse the place. They need to cleanse themselves. And they would place their hands on those animals. It's a shadow of, the, of Jesus Christ to come who would die on the cross for our sins, right? So they would lay their hands on the sin offering and they would confess, we've sinned. You know what they were confessing? Like probably about King Ahaz and how for like 20-something years, this place was shut down. We weren't here. We weren't, you know. You think about, you know, one thing that came to mind during COVID and how people stayed away was communion. Communion reminds us of the blood sacrifice of our Lord, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. People did not do communion and they were A-OK with not doing it. But we're beyond that. There's no need to (laughs) kick a dead horse, right? But it's a good reminder. Don't let it happen again for whoever. You know, you got to be here. We got to take communion. We got to remember together and not forsake the assembling. But anyhow, the sin is the most important thing. If you're new to the faith and you might pray to the Lord and just kind of start off with saying, you know, uh, thank you for this day, and and uh, will you help me with this, that, and the other, and may I just have a wonderful day, and may you just be glorified. That's cool if you're a new believer, but let me just share something. It should be more like putting God in this place, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Like, you are holy. First, tell him who he is. You're God, you mate, you're creator, you're holy, you're worthy, and then... And then you tell him about your sins. And I do it every day. Lord, forgive me for I've sinned against you. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Purify my heart. Secret sins. Presumptuous sins. Sins I don't even know I'm doing. Attitudes. Arrogance. Anger. Whatever it is. That's, we, we have to deal with the sin first. Because that's you can't get any real with God than to just come before him daily and say, Jesus, wash my feet. Like he told the disciples, if you don't let me wash your feet, you have no part with me. Like I have to do that. Oh, you don't have to be born again again. That's not what I'm saying here. But you have to come and say, I got dirt all over me from this world. I got so much dirt all over me from the things that I've seen and just in this world. Let Jesus wash you first. Let me wash you first. We'll get to your problems in a, in a minute. Let's deal with the sin offering. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And Jesus is the lamb who takes away our sins. He's the one that gives us access to the Father. You know the reality is that God is holy and he could not have communion with sinful man. Sin needed to be dealt with, and Jesus dealt with it on the cross. He made a pathway for a holy God to have communion with sinful man. 
How? Because Jesus' righteousness is bestowed upon us, his purity, his holiness, and our sins were placed upon him. Now we can have access to the Father anytime we want through Jesus Christ. But it is his blood that gives us access, just like it's it's the blood of this, these animal sacrifices by which they will begin now to worship the Lord in spirit and in amen. You can't worship him in, in, in flesh and falsities, right? It's like we have to get right first. And I get right, I, you know, I get right in the mornings. I get right at night. I get right a lot. You know, it's like, you know, I call places to pray, get right spots. That's a cool get right spot. That's my slang. Thank you for joining us today at Lasting Truth Radio. If you're in the area, come out and join us for Sunday services at 8.30 a.m. and at 10.30 a.m. or Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. We are located at 3035 West Nicollet Street in Banning, California. You can also find us on YouTube or Instagram. If you would like to donate to our program, please do so on our website at ccsweethills.org and hit the online giving tab. We hope you will continue to tune in as we journey through the entire Word of God with the teaching of Pastor Ryan Hussein at Calvary Chapel, Sweet Hills. We don't.